This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back. This is episode two, series two. How are you, Matthew? Very good, mate. Thank you. What's been What's been going on, mate? Anything uh, Anything's going on? We're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been quite quiet, hasn't it? Recently, yeah, not much going on. But don't <laughs> worry, guys. We're here to stay. What we got on going on today, mate? Well, we are going to be interviewing a super dad. Not just any super dad. The bloke's done it all. The bloke's a machine. It's an inspiration. What we're doing every month is yeah. getting on an inspiring dad, a dad who maybe inspires others. Yeah. Uh, maybe even a mum sometimes. Well, exactly. There's a lot of them out there. Yeah. So we're getting somebody on that can, can inspire the listeners mm-hmm. and have an interesting story to tell. And exactly, this, yeah. this guy has got an interesting so, story to tell. To be fair, when we found out uh, Mark was coming on, he's, uh, you know, do a little bit of research. You know, he's an incredible man, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, we'll let him tell his story. Yeah, we, we shouldn't spoil it, should we? How you doing, Mark? It's Ben from Lads to Dads. Matt's here as well. We just want to talk yeah. to you about your story, Mark. So yeah, I mean, if you want to start from the beginning? I guess, yeah, the best best thing would be to start from the beginning and, and what, what inspired you to join the Marines and, and from go from there, really. So what it was, was... You know, when I got to about 15 and a half, uh, which is the age my eldest daughter is approaching now, mm-hmm. I had my GCSEs on the horizon, you know, end of compulsory education, time to make a decision on what it was I was going to do with the rest of my life. And that kind of just randomly hit me one day when I was walking through school and I'm like, you know what, when these exams are over, I need to make a decision. Well, in fact, I need to make a decision now. Mm-hmm. What do I want to do when they're over? Do I continue with education if I get good enough grades go to college go to uni do that or do I jump out into the big bad world get a career because I knew I wanted a career rather than a job so that I could progress in and work my way up to the top you know what is it that I'm going to do so I had a little think about it spoke to a couple of people about it and in the end I decided that I wanted to go out young at 16 and and start a career not that i had anything against education no. and as it turns out i did i did pretty well i got nine a to c's and one d so i could have easily gone on to college and uni 
but my gut instinct just told me that I wanted to be out there working, earning, you know, starting at the bottom and, you know, as early as I could and then grafting my way up to the top. Yeah. So with that decision being made, I then had to figure out what it was that I wanted to actually do with my life. Um, so I sat down and I had to think about it. You know, I started looking at what it was I enjoyed. I knew it had to be something that I was going to be passionate about and that I enjoyed, otherwise it was going to be a slog. So, you know, I grew up in, in the 90s, was a big action movie fan, loved all those Schwarzeneggers and Stallones and that kind of stuff. And I'd been training in full contact kickboxing and Muay Thai for about five years um, and competing at that time. So I knew it had to be something that was based around physical fitness, mental mm-hmm. toughness, that kind of stuff. So narrowed it down effectively to the police, the fire brigade, or the military. Mm-hmm. Then I had to sit down and narrow it down even further yeah. and figure out which of those three paths I wanted to go, in that, to go down. Now, to cut a long story short, I ended up choosing the military, but actually went to join the army. Um, and bizarrely, considering that I was born and raised in Plymouth, I didn't really know who the Royal Marines were. I just thought if you want to be a soldier, you join the army. That's what you did. Mm-hmm. So went down at 15 and a half, got the papers, came back home, filled them out. I think my parents to sign them because of my age. And then my dad told me that I had an uncle who was an officer, a retired officer in the Royal Marines. So we went up to see him and he told me about his career. He had started at the bottom as a Marine, worked his way up and left as a captain. He told me about his time in the military and how the Royal Marines were different to the Army and, and why they were different. So I went back to the career center where I'd seen the Army recruiter. I spoke to the Royal Marines recruiter and he sat me down and he played the old VHS cassette tape. <laughs> and pretty much from the minute I watched that, I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, I saw guys that were jumping out of planes. They were assaulting positions with speedboats. They were carrying big packs. They were in the, the jungle, the desert, the Arctic, the woodlands. They just seemed like the all-round, ultimate action superstar, if you like. Yeah. And that was so, it. Were you sold from that then? Was that the was that the turning point then and there? That was it. That was, I'm just like, this is what I want to do because not only is this like an incredible career, it's going to develop me as a person, you know, all around to, to be able to, to do so many different things and be so flexible that I, I just, I was in, I was so all in from that minute. So I put the paperwork in, sent it off, went through the process, waited for the, the dates to come through. Uh, initially, you've got to do a three-day, what's called a potential War Marines course, mm-hmm. which is just a three-day hammering yeah. just to, to kind of give you as a potential War Marine the, the opportunity to decide whether it is actually what you can see you doing for the rest of your life and also for the people training you to have an opportunity to see if you're ready. Is that more of like a, a physical, uh, that three day, more of a physical uh, like hammering or is that mental hammering to see if they're, if you, you know, you can be like, cause what, do they break you down and mold you the way they want you to do? It, it's a little bit of both, mm. but I mean, mentally you can do anything for three days. If you know you're going home in three days, mm-hmm. you can do anything, I think. But mm. it, it's a physical nonstop, hammering for three days and and what they're really trying to do I think is you know they don't want the fittest guy in the world the one that's coming first at the time who finds it easy physically Mm -hmm. they are 
well, they do want that, but they're also looking for the guy who's doing press-ups and then throwing up and then doing a press-up into his own stick and then carrying off, <laughs> you know, and just refuses to give up. You know, oh, even nice. though they're struggling, they yeah. just, they, they're just too stubborn to stop. Uh, and that was pretty much me. I wasn't the fittest guy ever in the world, uh, far from it, but I just wouldn't stop. And I, I passed that three days, came home with a training program, and then it was literally just a case of training to the letter of the program they gave me progressively until, you know, I got a letter saying, this is the date we want you to come in, start your training, which ended up being February 2001 when I had turned 17. Oh dear, that's amazing. Crazy that must look, from going from a young lad, you know, not knowing what you're going to do in that short space of time, you know, then finding out yeah. and being put through your pace like that, the onslaught of your like mental and physical must have been absolutely out of this world. And did you say that was in 2001? I, I started my training officially in February 2001, yeah. So I guess at that time, the world was changing due to September 11th. So, I mean, how does that, you know, how, how do you go from joining and then thinking, God, we, we could be called up at any, any point now. Does, how do you mentally prepare for that? Is, is there a way or is it within you, do you think? I mean, I think that's different for everybody, but for us, what it was, like, I, I didn't, nothing was on my radar throughout training except for earning that green piece of cloth. Mm. Um, you know, social media wasn't around back then. I think, I think I had a mobile phone. I can't remember, but I, I didn't care about anything except for passing my training. I didn't watch the news. You know, I went out every once in a while with the lads, but my whole focus was on making sure that I was successful. So there was a lot of stuff that wasn't really on my radar. And we finished our training. I was fortunate enough to go from day one to finishing as what's called an original. So I never got injured, always made the grade. Out of 64 of us that started in February, only 16 of us managed to do that. Bloody hell. And it was October 2001 that we passed out. So it was four weeks after 9-11. Wow. That is incredible. And you say you didn't get injured throughout that time at all. You're just constantly going and going and going and going and you, you made it all the, all the way through as an original. Yeah, you, you get you get tested like every two weeks on the stuff you've learned, whether yeah. it's map reading, field craft, fitness, whatever. And if you don't make the grade, you get what's called back troops. Mm-hmm. So you'll re- reset the previous two weeks with another troop. Um, but if you make it from day one all the way to your pass out day, you're what's called an original. So is that, uh, that go back to your mindset of saying, you're would you say you're sort of obsessed with getting that green bit of cloth? So you're obsessed with making every, ticking every box. So you, would you have to be obsessed with this process? Absolutely, yeah. And as, as well as that, you have to have good people around you. Because there are times when I wanted to quit. There were loads of times. But that's when, you know, the good lads around you kind of dust you down and be like come on mate it's only temporary you know we're at this point now and you know in my mind I had had a lot of tricks for dealing with it like mentally I'd break everything down you know like if you're on a treadmill doing cardio yeah and you you know it's boring isn't it and then Mm. you go oh I've got I've got half an hour left that means I've got three sets of ten minutes that means I've got six sets of five minutes and you just start mentally playing with yourself breaking it down to kind of alleviate the boredom. Yeah. So I did that with the weeks and the training. You know, we had 30 weeks we had to go through plus all of our leave periods. So I'd get to, you know, you get to like week three or four and you're like, right, if I just make it through week 10, then I'm a third of the way through. 
And then you get to week 10, you're like, right, now I've got to get to week 15. And that means I'm smack on halfway through. And then when you get halfway through, it's all downhill from there and it's easy. Exactly, and you yeah. just start playing these stupid mental games. And I remember the times when I really, really, really wanted to quit. And I live in Plymouth and we train in Exmouth. It's 45 minutes away on a train. And I just remember imagining what I would feel like the second that train pulled away from the station if I quit and then being at home less than an hour later getting off that train having to walk into my house and going I failed mm, and all do, my mates yeah. knew what I was doing all my mates knew I was doing it and I couldn't bet it made me feel sick a lot of it. pressure on yourself though doesn't it? it must come under well a hell of a lot of pressure especially with the marines anyway the, the, the pinnacle but so, like you said, that train leaving, that must have been constantly going through your mind when times were hard. Like you said, doing your, on your treadmill when you or out doing your your physical activity. Just that picture in your head of thinking that train going away is the thing that's stopped you getting on it. Yeah, the funny thing is, like, so Limston, where we do our training, it's got its own dedicated train station platform, mm. and our bottom field, bottom field assault course is. Pretty much, you get off the train, you walk through a gate, and you're on the bottom field assault course. And then just above it, the, the main body of the camp is where the accommodation is. Mm-hmm. So my accommodation looked out over the train station. And when we're on the bottom field running round, oh, you're right next to it. So it was a constant reminder. Yeah. Every time you see it pull away, don't get on it. Never get on that train. Not until you've got, you know, you finish your training and you're out your green beret. Never get on it. And it just kept on. That was my individual way of pushing through the hard times. My stepdad was a Royal Marine commander in the, in the Falklands and he sort of told me about different things and, and training and he got the King George badge. He was, he, he was a medal and he was, he was sort of saying that, um, you know, there's that final match at the end of your training, that, that long, I don't know how long it is. It's a long match though, isn't it? With your, with your backpack on. And 30 miles. 30 miles. <laughs> just a little trip yeah, then, Matt. Just, just a small <laughs> one. Um, so yeah. yeah, I guess, would you say that building up to that physically and mentally, you sort of, you found, like you say on the treadmill, you found tactics to, to slowly build towards that, that final, final slog. And um, that sort of helps you in, in life really, uh, getting through things and, and, and working through to, to a final goal. Yeah. I mean, I think, that, I think you can take a lot of analogies from, from military training and take them into the real world. So, you know, the day that I turned up and started my training, I couldn't have done that 30-mile run across Dartmoor. Mm-hmm. But training's progressive. And they, they progressively structure it to make you stronger physically and mentally and more adapt to that kind of activity that when the day comes around, you are more than capable of doing it physically. You've just got to stay on top of it mentally. Yeah. And then again, exactly what you said, you, you break it down. You know there are like five rest stops where you get a pasty and some, uh, they, they feed you like warm Ribena. It's disgusting. <laughs> that sounds but, horrible. Um, and a banana. And so you're like, okay, there's five of these things. Right, you get to the first one, you're like, okay, that's, that's the first one. So there's probably, that's probably six, seven miles done. And then again, you break it down. You get to the next one, you're a little bit more tired. You're like, okay, I'm nearly halfway. And it's difficult because there are five of them. But then when you get to the third one, you're like, oh, I'm over halfway. Mm. Okay, cool. This, this is the home stretch. And you get to the fourth one, you're like, all I've got to do now is push between number four and number five and I'm done. And, you know, I just break things down in my head into little chunks and then just attack the chunks yeah. rather than think of the overwhelming bigger picture of, right, 
it's five o'clock in the morning, it's pitch black, and I've got to run 30 miles in one go. Because that would just kill me. I'd be so overwhelmed. <laughs> No well, one can do that. No, putting it that way, well, waking up at half, five o'clock in the morning to run 30 miles seems inc- seems impossible for a lot of people. But when you break it down, it seems like a constant breakdown process, which I've never really... I, I've used it a little bit because uh, I used to do quite a little bit of boxing and kickboxing myself. And I used to... We used to do like black belt rounds when I used to... Because uh, I know you're a, a bit a keen uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, I believe. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, so yeah, I um, I've seen quite a lot of uh, I've seen your Instagram and that you're a big uh, you're a big grappler as well. Um, we used to do uh, ten ten minute black belt rounds when we used to roll constantly, and uh, I used to be thinking, oh, because you'd hear the buzzers in the background for the three minutes of the boxing rounds that were going on, and I'd hear one buzzer, I'd be like, oh, that's three minutes done. Two buzzers, that'd be six <laughs> minutes. Done. I used to work it that way, and you know, I'd be tied up exactly. tied up into a little ball. But yeah, no, I completely understand that breakdown process. It's a really good way to put it. I've just used that in loads of things in my life. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, and it just makes things seem so much more manageable. It you definitely know, when, does. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. With, you can do it with anything. With, with, with parenting fitness, as well, for example, with, for parenting. That's what, you know, we do, We, I, me and Matt, we both used to be lads going out and now we're dads and, you know... I, I've, it's, a, it's a hard transition, isn't it? So breaking things down. Like I've got two little boys, right? I wake quarter past eight in the morning. I change one nappy to get one nappy done. I've only got another kid's nappy to do. I've only got this, and so that's that's a, you do without even knowing it. You do break it down, really, don't you? Exactly, and, and with babies as well. With kids, you know, the seven P's: prior preparation and planning prevents his poor performance. performance. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you you know, before you go to bed at night. You prep the bottle warmer. You've got Absolutely. the bottles ready. There's, there's feeds in the fridge. You, na- you know where your nappies are, so you don't even have to turn the light on. You can find it all in the dark. You know what I mean? Like you do in the military, you pack your burger mm. in a specific way so that when it's pitch black and you can't see, you don't have to get a flashlight out and break, you know, tactical protocols. So you, you can do that with kids as well. You know, when they're babies, you just break it all down and then put, put um, systems in place and, and have procedures and prep everything right. That's such a good way to put it. And there's such a lot of, a lot of people will be listening to this, Mark, who are, are dads and they won't even be knowing of this sort of strategy. So a lot of people would be listening going, right, because we do cover quite a bit of mental health as well. And people who str- we have a lot of fathers that struggle with this sort of stuff. But breaking stuff right. down will definitely help with any situation. It could be something so small or something so big. It could be something that a Marine would do in the military or something that dad would do at home trying to you know, change his children. And like you say, with the prior preparation, I think that's one of the best things because it, you know, like you say, it, it gives you a bit of leeway. It gives you a bit of free time to to think instead of being overwhelmed by everything. You you know you plan the night before. You do everything else, and 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 that gives you a bit of a breathing space. Exactly. Like even when they get older, you know the school the school morning routine. If you have got the uniforms are hung up, ironed, the lunches are in the fridge, they're they're ready to rock. All you've got to do is get up in the morning, brush their teeth, throw them in their clothes, grab their bags, and kick them out the door. Easy. Yeah. When you put, exactly. Yeah. You wake up and your alarm doesn't go off and you're flapping and you're like, I haven't ironed the clothes. You get in the shower, you brush your teeth, you go make the sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how many children have you got, Mark? Three. Three. And what, are they all all boys or girls or mixture? So my my daughter, my eldest daughter is 15, my boy is eight and my other girl is six. You've got all different areas covered. You've got the 15-year-old girl going through the, well... Yeah. Going yeah. through the hormone stage of uh, the back chat and stuff, I can imagine. She's pretty good, actually, to be fair. She's very switched on. I'm, re- I'm very, very proud of her, actually. She's um, at 15 when I see what all the other kids her age are doing. She's already had a job. She's mm. already now, she quit that job to start her own business. So she 
she she works every Saturday now in her own business. She what what does she do? What is she, what's her business? So she's in, she loves hair and beauty. Right. And um, while all her mates, when they go on, you know, summer holidays, Easter holidays from school and everything, she she goes on courses and she trains. She's been doing it since she's about 13. And she'll okay. go out there and she'll go on a week-long course. She'll learn what she's got to do, get her certificates, come back, practice it. And she's got to the point now where just after Christmas, at 15 years old, she said she wanted to launch her own business. And she has. Wow. That's um, incredible. She's only like four. She's earning like 45 to 60 quid every Saturday. That's a, for a 15-year-old girl, that's a lot of money, isn't it? Well, plug away, Mark. You know, tell us the name of the business if you want, and we can, yeah, we'll we can be plug plugging it away. Pop it on our Instagram page, get as many people down there, you know, get more 60 quid as she can get every Saturday for her. Yeah, no, it's called KMO Beauty. KMO Beauty. Has she got an Instagram page or anything like that? Is she, um, is she on the social media for her business or...? I'm not sure if she's on Instagram for business, but we we set up a Facebook group for it the other day. Oh, brilliant! If your daughter doesn't mind us popping that on our Facebook page, uh, get some people uh, get notice on that because we've got a following all around the country. So you never know; people might, you know, if it one or two people inquire, at least that's a little bit of uh, work her way. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. And it's a, it's a great testament to you as a, as a parent. Obviously, Matt, because you know you you learn from you, you know there's there's a whole leadership thing, isn't there? And this you learn from what you see. So she's obviously learned from you and 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 um, doing well for it. So that must also fill you full of a bit of pride. A lot of people that are listening may not know your story. So going back to your military career, obviously you had a life changing event. Would you be comfortable talking about that and and how it changed your life, really? Yeah, yeah, of course. So once I finished my training, um, obviously the nine eleven thing was going on. I got trained instantly at the end of 2001 to go to Afghanistan on um, something called Operation Chicana. Now that never happened on the scale that originally it was attended to, so I didn't go. 2003, I went out to Iraq on Operation Telic 1 and then I came home and just after my daughter was born, I decided to leave the Marines. Uh, I was going to do something different. Things didn't work out with, with me and her mum. I still left but kind of lost my way a little bit. Rejoined in 2007 and then went straight out to Afghanistan in September that year. Christmas Eve, 2007, so like halfway through the tour, I was out on a routine foot patrol, just about to come back into camp where we were going to get a couple of days R&R to open up our mail and have a Christmas dinner and all that kind of stuff. And just as we were coming back in, we the section that I was working in were giving overwatch um, so cover and protection for another group of men that we're working with and as I went to get into a fire position uh, I knelt on an improvised explosive device which resulted in me losing both of my legs above the knee and my right arm above the elbow um, and becoming the, the first triple amputee from the conflict yeah. okay now and what does it say you knelt on a, was that like a mine for people who wouldn't know is that what it is it, it, it's called an improvised explosive device. Mm-hmm. And what this was, um, was an anti-personnel mine, which is designed just to tear a leg off. Uh, it's not meant to kill you, just to maim you. Mm. But they were kind enough to put the warhead of a 107 millimeter Chinese shoulder launch rocket on top of it. Wow. Oh my so, God. And that the, yeah, that would take the side of the house off. Bloody hell, you're lucky to so, be alive, yeah. Yeah, I, I knelt on 
the rocket warhead, which pressed down on the anti-personnel mine. The two metal plates in the mine, they touch, which detonates it. So the mine detonated, which detonated the warhead, uh, which detonated me, effectively. Wow. Um, and I guess, I'd ask you what was going through your head, but I'm, I guess there's uh, <laughs> there's not much to much to um, to say at that point. I guess you were just trying to survive. Uh, do you remember much from from that, or is it just um, is it just a blur? Yeah, I, until... I remember all of it. Oh wow! Okay. No, no, I remember it all, and it, it's this is what I always say to people, you know, because I, I work as a speaker as well as what I do with the the Royal Marines charity. But it's a very surreal experience, and anyone who's ever been in a, a traumatic accident will probably understand what what I'm saying. But it all feels like a dream. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, it's I think your body's way of coping with such trauma like I, w- I was sat there with this device having exploded and all the, the dust and sand had settled and I could see what was going on and I realised and you know there's blood and claret and fluid and everything draining out of my body but there was no pain mm-hmm. and I was looking at it and I, I just think your brain doesn't really know how to compute it or how to process it Yeah, and that's what makes it not seem real and so I just, you know, for a couple of seconds, just sat there, like, looking, like, what's happening here? This doesn't make any sense. Um, what am I looking at? Why are my legs not there? Why is all this blood coming out? Just trying to figure it out. But there was no pain. So you kind of, you're kind of questioning yourself, like, is this real? Am I dreaming? What's going on? Yeah. And then, you know, a couple of seconds in, it all kind of clicks in. It feels like longer, you know, like maybe a, 30 seconds or whatever it's probably about 4 or 5 everything clicks and you understand what's going on and that it is real mm-hmm. and then that's when you just got to snap out of it and figure out how you're going to deal with it and what you're going to do and what was the what was the rehabilitation aside from that then as mental uh, the mental aspect of that obviously you obviously taken straight to hospital um, and then the rehabilitation for, on your own mind yeah I guess how do you pick yourself up from something like that is it because obviously you're in a in a great place now by, by the looks of it so was it a slow process to to get round or does, does your training help you adapt to that how do you how do you go ahead you know what again I think this is a very individual thing uh, and I think that when you wake up in a hospital um, and you you know you're you're I guess well enough you, you know, the drugs have been taken you know withdrawn enough that you're compass mentis and you can understand what's going on mm-hmm. I think Hi this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA the future isn't scary not realizing its potential however could be Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're either going to go one way or the other. You're either going to wake up and go, right, okay, this sucks, but it is what it is. There's not much we can do about it. Let's figure a way forward. Or you go, why has this happened to me? I hate everybody. This isn't fair. And you become angry and you become bitter. And when I woke up, I think I was just very fortunate in that. Mm. I looked at it as it is what it is. And I thought to myself, I'm still a Royal Marine. I'm just missing a couple of digits, mm-hmm. you know, so I've got, to, I've got to maintain my standards. I've got to uphold that level of professionalism that was ingrained into me. And I've got to figure this out as a man, not as a boy. Yeah. And, That's an amazing way to put it. You know, I, when I went upstairs, I spent a week in intensive care and I went upstairs when they weaned me off the medication enough for me to figure out what was going on. And I sat there and I can't remember exactly how old the Royal Marines were. It was still like 347 years. And I, I remember sitting there on my own when there was no one around thinking, I, I don't know and I've never heard of anybody in 347 years of Royal Marines history that dropped the ball and let the side down. No matter what they were facing, you, you never heard of anybody giving in. And I, I sat there and I said to myself, I, I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to be the one person in history that gets remembered for quitting and letting the side down. And so I used that and, you know, moving forward, everything I did, it was like, I, I'm not letting the side down. I, I still have the same standards. I'm still as professional as I was before. Things are just a little bit different now. So that I conducted myself the same way I conducted myself before. You know, that's a credit to you. That's a challenge. Well, I think it's a credit to the, the Royal Marines and the mindset they instill in you to have the highest standards no matter what you're facing. Mm. You know, when you're cold, wet, tired, hungry, sleep-deprived, blistered feet, bleeding feet, you know, those are just circumstances and situations. you still got to maintain your standards. you still got to look after your weapon, look after your kit, look after your offos and your friends, look after yourself, eat, drink, keep those standards high and operate at the highest level despite your environment. And that's just kind of what I thought when I was going through rehab. I've still got to operate Mm. at the highest level, despite the environment that I'm operating in. And and the ironic thing being is that you, you know, took the Marines as an inspiration to yourself. And now I know for a fact, like I say, with, <laughs> with my stepdad being a being Marine, that um, you're now an inspiration to a lot of not only civilians, but but Marines in themselves in, in what you've done and accomplished uh, out of, uh, you know, what, what's happened to, to you during, during the conflict. Um. I get from what I've I've read during research is you you also 
proposed to your now wife while you was in hospital rehabilitating. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think it was on the day three, something like the twenty eighth of December, and I was kind of coming round from this drug induced coma, and it, it was like a, a scene in a in a movie where you see someone in a hospital bed getting rushed through the corridors, and all they can see is blurry lights in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. I could kind of make out these blurry lights. I, c- I couldn't open my eyes. It it took I was so weak, and it took so much energy to try and open my eyes. I couldn't even do it. I couldn't lift my eyelids up. But I could hear everyone around me. And I kind of made out the voices. And I had an oxygen mask on. And, and I was too weak to really even speak. And I could hear Becky. And she saw that I was coming around and was trying to say something. And she took the oxygen mask off. And she couldn't hear what I was saying. And she knelt in closer. And I was asking her. I was proposing. Asking her to marry me. And she just said, did you ask me to marry you? And I just kind of gave a little weak smile and just uh, passed out again. Yeah. Um, it was, I was so weak, it was unreal. But yeah, we, I, I did that in, in ICU. <laughs> well, well, I mean, that's a, that's a proposal and a half, isn't it, really? That so is incredible. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's great. Yeah. Uh, definitely a, a memorable proposal and... and- I, I guess you you know when that you know that person's there by your side, like you say, you've you've give you something to fight for, doesn't it? Especially when you're in those hard times. Yeah. So, Mark, yeah, what, we, we, sorry, Mark. What I was going to ask you quickly is we've had some we've had some questions come in from a lot of people who obviously who know your you know follow you on Instagram and social media. We've got a couple of questions here. Okay. This is, this is if you don't mind me going through these. It's a, a question from Dave Harris. Yeah. He is a father and he lost his arm in uh, an accident at work and he has two little baby girls and he wants to know any mental techniques or any help like you guys, like you went through with your children growing up um, being an amputee that he could use as he's now an amputee, as he struggles with it mentally and physically. Wonders if there's any tips or any guidelines that you follow, which you obviously said about breaking down, that would really help him. Do you mean functionally acting as a parent or? I think that's what he's getting at. Yeah, functional acting as a parent. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that he doesn't wear a prosthetic arm. Uh, it doesn't um, say here, no. So from what it gathers, he's had an injury and he lost a, a lost up to his elbow of his arm. If he doesn't wear a prosthetic arm, I'd advise getting one made because. Mm-hmm. From a functional standpoint, they're very useful, even if it's just for holding things in place, mm-hmm. um, carrying a shopping bag. So I don't does know, it bring back that like normality sort of aspect to it? Yeah, like if you're holding a saucepan, trying to stir a pot, and you know you, you do it in one hand, it's not only difficult; it's dangerous. If you've got hot liquids everywhere, where you just grab it with a prosthetic hook, hold stuff in place, it just gives you that extra arm. You know, your, your regular arm that's free to do things. Maybe you know help out the kids doing something or, or whatever. But I would I would advise using a prosthetic if he has one. And then you know some of the things that I've done is I just, if you just go on like YouTube mm. and figure stuff out. Like there was this one guy who basically took a Hoover extension. Mm. You obviously got to be very careful when you do this. Put his daughter's hairband on it, gently Hoover turned the Hoover on so it sucked her hair up, and then just rolled the the hairband onto her hair. Genius, that's genius, isn't it? Just, you know, but he must put his daughter's hair in a ponytail, one-handed. <laughs> so that sounds like, incredible. 
Yeah, well, obviously don't get a Dyson that's going to scalp her. <laughs> <laughs> Take all her hair off. Yeah, be careful, but just jump online and look for the tips about how to do things one-handed. There's a lot of equipment out there as well, mm. you know, for things like, and, and there's, there's little things I've developed over time that used to drive me mad trying to butter things with a knife. Yeah. So I ended up using a teaspoon and the, the back end of a teaspoon mm. and just, you know, using that as a, as a knife and things, the, the, I wasn't chasing the bread around the plate then. It was actually working yeah. properly. And as far as, yeah, there's loads of information out there. So funny you say that because I always use like a teaspoon because I'm adamant that it's better at buttering toast. It's, it's much a knife. <laughs> it's so cheesy. <laughs> I feel a pole coming along here. You're the first person I've ever met who shares that. Knives um, are cutting. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're, they're, they're <laughs> not made for the butter. Knives <laughs> are for cutting. Back, You're right. Yeah. Back of a spoon is so much better. Did you ever, were you ever in a situation where you had to change nappies and it was a struggle or do you have implements in place to, you know, make it a lot easier or? Yes, I have, but I'm not going to say that it's easy. No. Um, that's because kids like to move a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you can't secure them in place and you're taking a poopy nappy off and they flip around to their belly. It causes all sorts of dramas. Yeah. I found it um, difficult myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nightmare. Yeah, it's very difficult. Is that right. something that you had to Every, overcome and adapt and, well, adapt so you could, uh, you know, get the job done if, when necessary? It, it, that became one of the things where I had to concede and be like, you know what, we need to do this together or I can't do this on my own type thing because mm. it, it, was, it was just not practical. No. Um, but is that, uh, is that, is that, is that an, is also, is that a hard thing mentally to accept to yourself saying like, I can't do this on my own. I need help. Or was it a case of you got the right support around you and it was something that, look, move on. I can't do it on my own. I just need help. I found it as a father. When I need help from my partner, I sort of, at first I started to think, oh God, I can't do this or I can't do that. But like you said, there's that change mentally where you, you have to go, you know what? Actually, I do need some help with that or I do need help with this. And um, conceding that, especially I think sometimes as a bloke, we find it a bit harder to concede that we need help with things. But I think it's a perfectly perfectly normal thing to, to ask and it's actually a, a good a good thing. Yeah, I've got no problem at all asking for help with anything. I don't know why people have such a stigma around it. No. If I'm struggling with something, no matter what it is, and I think, oh, that person can help me, I'll ask them. Yeah. <laughs> it's that easy, isn't it? <laughs> Rather than bang my head against a brick wall and be like, oh, I can't do this. Yeah. I'm just like, look, can you help me out? I need a bit of hand with this. Yeah, and I think that, that's something people will find inspiring that somebody, you know, like yourself, who's a, a Royal Marine. It's okay to ask for help, it's isn't okay it? It's okay to ask for help, yeah. Definitely. I've had it on yeah, the, I've had it on the train, yeah, when you can't even put your pram up because you've got one baby in your hand and I'm having to ask a stranger and you, you don't <laughs> want to ask. But you know, like you say, if you can't do something, just ask someone. But do you know what I really like, though? And this is probably just my ego talking. But when I'll get on a train or something and maybe like an elderly person gets on and, and I look around and I'm almost waiting for someone, like an able-bodied person, to help, ask them that they need help. And they won't. So then I'll be like, do you need some help? And I'll get up and put their bag on the on the rack. And then everyone else looks around, they get up, look up from their phone and they're kind of like, oh shit, I should have done that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's almost, I'm almost like shaming people into being a decent human being again. Yeah, that's a great, you know, great thing. Offering that, you know, rather than, like if, if, you know, I saw you on a, on a train, you were struggling, I would, I would offer you help because I'd be like, well, maybe this person doesn't want to ask for help. Maybe they feel embarrassed. So I'll offer mm. and I'll take that embarrassment away. And then they achieve their objective, you know? 
I've got a couple of questions to ask, actually, Mark, if you don't mind. One of them would be some things that I've found quite inspiring. First being the Invictus Games, you won gold in the swimming. And from what I know, you'd not actually even practiced that stroke. You you, you stepped in at the last minute and, and won gold. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, it was it was at my second Games. Right. And at the first one, I'd made friends with a couple of the Australian team because there's a lot of Brits that are in the Australian military. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, I'd made friends with this guy, Gary, who was a special forces sniper. We were in the same categories in the first games. And the second games came around, and I was doing 50-meter and 100-meter freestyle. There was also a backstroke event and a breaststroke event. Now, I couldn't do backstroke. I just couldn't get my head around it. I kept on just bobbing around like a ball in the water. water. So I didn't do that. And I didn't do breaststroke because... If I'm honest, I didn't think I could. I, I just thought about how I used to do it. Um, I didn't think I could, so I focused all my attention on freestyle. Yeah. Now, the night before the finals, myself and Gary being at the higher end of the injury spectrum, we didn't have to do any like qualifying heats because we just went, there's only like maximum four of us, I think, in that category. So we went straight to the finals. So I was sat watching the rest of my team competing in the heats, trying to get to the finals, you know, chatting to Gary and, and the Australians. And we were talking about the events we were doing. And they said, I said, you know, 50 meter freestyle, 100 meter freestyle, what's Gary doing? 50 meter freestyle, 100 meter freestyle, 50 meter backstroke, 50 meter breaststroke. And they said, oh, there's only, he's the only one doing the breaststroke. And I didn't know how it all worked. And I said, oh, that's brilliant. That means he's going to win a gold medal straight away. And they said, well, no, it doesn't work that way. You have to have at least two people in the race. Or they'll cancel it. So I'm like, okay. I said, well, you know, there's loads of people here. Gary's prepped himself for it and trained for it. If it's not too late, you know, if you can ask the officials if I'm all right to enter, then tomorrow when we come back, I'll jump in just so that we put a race on for the crowd and everything. So he came back and you're like, yeah, happy days. He said that you can do it. So I was like, awesome. So I come back the next day and there was a 25-meter practice pool where you could jump in and warm up and all that stuff. So about half an hour before this breaststroke, uh, breaststroke race we were doing, I thought oh, I'd better go in the pool and figure out how to do a breaststroke because I'm going to look stupid if I dive in and try and swim 50 meters, which is a long way uh, with one arm. So I'll, I'll figure out what I need to do. So I jumped in, I started swimming breaststroke like I used to with two arms and just literally went around in a circle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going to go down well. Um, and then I just started playing around with it, swimming up and down this pool. And I, I kind of managed to do a modified breaststroke doggy paddle style thing. Right. And then we got the call that the race was starting. So I jumped out and I'm like, okay, cool. I know how to go forward. That's all I need to know. Just go forward. I'm not going to go in a circle and we'll just race. So I dived in, um, started doing this thing that I had practiced, and, and it worked quite well. You know, at that point, I had learned not to go crazy in the swimming pool and, and to use technique and breathe properly and pace yourself and sprint at certain points. And uh, I could see on this big screen, uh, I was ahead, I was winning, and I could see this yellow hat out the corner of my eye getting closer and closer and closer. And uh, that's when my whole game plan went out the window and I just went, well, we need to go for it now. Now, the way I swim, since I've been an amputee, 
basically, if I don't have air in my lungs, I sink very fast. Right. Um, I didn't know this um, until about five or six years ago. And I see this hat racing up on me, and uh, I start to panic a little bit. So I start to increase my stroke rate, and I got cramp in my forearm, and I couldn't shut my fingers. <laughs> and then this drop of water from the swimming pool went in my mouth and hit me, like on the tonsils. Mm. And it made me need to instantly start coughing. But I knew that if I coughed, I'd breathe out and I would sink. And I was about 10 meters from the finish line. And so Gary's getting closer and closer and closer. And I decided that I was just going to start drinking the pool water instead of coughing. Oh my God. So So for the last eight to 10 meters, I just literally, every breath, I swallowed water. And I, I couldn't breathe in or breathe out. I just was kind of holding my breath and drinking the water to keep air in my lungs to keep me going forward yeah. and we got to the end and it was 0.25 of a second bloody difference. hell yeah it was insane I've never been so tired I bet Gary was you fuming know, but you know what like, when I finished I went backstage with my wife and we had, you've got to do media and some pictures and I said oh, no, I feel awful I said you know I didn't train for this or anything I just went with brute force and ignorance and a little bit of technique and I ended up winning it and I was like, you know, I, I, he's probably going to hate me. I'm probably going to go out there and he's going to be like, you asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't believe you did that. But Gary, he's me such a cool guy. Yeah. He's such a cool, and he, he was cool with it. And then uh, he went on to win a bunch more medals anyway. That's um, ah, all right. Then yeah, one goes missing then, isn't it? Well, talking about amazing <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. Talking about amazing stories, what's the case with this watch? I, mean, I know you raised a lot of money for charity through this watch, but do you want to tell us a little bit about what, what happened there and the auction? Yeah. Um, so I work, my, my day job, I work full-time for the Royal Marines Charity. And every year in November, we have a big dinner up in London. It's, it's our big showpiece where we um, always hope to raise at least a million pounds to support the charity. And I had a watch, uh, a Bremont watch with my name, and my military number on the back. And we decided to auction it off a couple of years ago to raise money for the charity. And the first year we did it, these these two guys got in a bidding war, about £14,000 each. And they were trying to outdo each other. And they got to like, I think 15000 was one of them and fourteen eight was the other. And one guy won it. And he, he basically said, listen, why don't you pay the 15 grand as well? I'll pay the 15 grand and we give Marcus watch back. <laughs> and this is in front of a, a room full of people packed. And I'm on the stage, like listening to this go down. And so they both agree. So they paid 30,000 pounds for the watch and then they gave it back to me. That's fantastic. So I took it home. Yeah, I took it home and it was like the talk of the night about how generous these men were. So we decided to do it again the next year. <laughs> Not planning really on it to come back, but Again, it went up for auction. This time it raised 35 grand. And again, the blokes get back to me. So I'm sat there with this watch now worth like 65 grand, which is raised, you know, raised that money for charity. Um, and I still had to watch. Just can't get rid of it. So I went back the- <laughs> no, I know. And I went back the third year and I'm like, right, let's do it again. And uh, at this point, people, because these, these guys that go to this dinner, lots of them are regulars. And they kind of knew that this was the party piece, I guess, for the watch. And someone bidded £40,000 for it. Uh, no. But this year we let it go. We're like, look, we can, we can only string this 
little party for yourself for so long. You know, that's the most that the watch has ever raised. Please keep hold of it. Um, and yeah, so this watch has done like, what is it, 40, 50, over 100 grand. Wow, that is incredible. You know? Yeah, it's pretty cool. And that was over what, three dinners, was it? Uh, over the course of three years, yeah. Oh, dear. Three dinners. You, um, you say you're working full-time for the uh, for the Royal Marines charity. You also say that you're, you, you know, you, you do inspirational speaking. Tell, tell us about a little bit about what you've, what you've got going on. I know you've got a book uh, and, you know, what, you, what you've got going on in your life then, Max? Yeah, so I, I do a bit of work as a speaker as well, traveling around the world, uh, sharing my story with loads of different people. Sometimes it's at school, sometimes it's at big corporates. Um Generally, the, you know, it's the same kind of thing with a twist on it each time, different message, different focus. Uh, but that's taken me all over the world to meet some really cool people. Uh, my first book, Man Down, came out in 2009. I wrote that when I was in rehab because uh, I had nothing I could do in the evenings. You know, all the other guys jump on the PlayStations and everything, but I've only got one hand. Mm. So I couldn't do that. So I, we wrote a book instead. I'm very, very close to finishing the second book. Uh, it was going to be finished before Christmas. It's just gone, but my ghostwriter uh, is in the middle of moving house, so it kind of got waylaid a little bit. Mm. Uh, we did a documentary, which is on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Uh, that was focused around the Invictus Games. That went on in 2018. And I'm actually now in the very early stages, uh, the very early stages, which unfortunately is being postponed a little bit because of this coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But um, we're making a movie, like a, a Hollywood cinema release movie uh, about everything right now uh, just that's going to be our main focus this year is, is getting all that together the team are already in place you back yourself as a bit moves. of an actor do you <laughs> I'm not going to be an actor oh um, no you're or, more producing side is it I'm, I'm going to be a producer however I am I was supposed to be I had my first acting job on the 31st of this month as a dead body in series 2 of The Witcher but that's just been cancelled because of the coronavirus. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so at least you'd have been on the big back. screen. <laughs> Nominee well, for a BAFTA. That would pretty cool though. Yeah, that would have been amazing. You know, I've, I've, apparently I'm going to get in a fight with some guy and he's going to chop off my legs and my arm with a big sword. Mm. Um, but yeah, then, then I'm going to be in a hospital bed covered in some sort of medieval armour. and I don't know if I've got much acting to do, but I'll get a bit of screen time. Do you get to choose who plays you in, you know, the film about your life? Do you, do you get to choose or do they choose? I mean, I, I get to, I get to say who I'd like, but then it all comes down to whether the actor's interested, whether we've got the money for them, whether they can fit it into their schedule. So we, we've got a list of people yeah, who yeah. we want involved in it um, for various different roles. And, and that's kind of the stuff we're working on now in the early stages. Mm. And more so now that it's been delayed a little bit. It'll be a lot of reaching out to these people, trying to work out deals and get the right people in place. What, what I said to them when I was approached about it was that I'd, I'd really love like an all-star British cast. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's quite a far-fetched dream, but I, I remember watching a movie once and there were like 60 cameos from like A-list celebrities. These are all Americans though. It's like every scene there was like a, a well-known actor in it for like a 30 second to a two minute part and it was just a brilliant brilliant to watch it I can't even remember what the film was called it couldn't have been that great but watching <laughs> watching all these A-listers pop up I was like that would be so cool to like have loads of British people in it playing all different parts well known people 
So I kind of said, like, I want it to, I don't want it to be uh, guns blazing, knife and teeth, Hollywood action movie. I want it to be a, like a British thing, and I want it to have like a Forrest Gump feel, right? Like make you feel good. You can watch it over and over again. Mm. You know, kind of your go-to film on a rainy day type thing. You know, and um, I said I wanted all the casualties in it to be friends of mine, actual real amputees I went through recovery with. Um, so that's got that authenticity to it. Yeah. That sounds and amazing. Obviously. If you need a couple of extras, uh, Mark, <laughs> me and Matt are available. <laughs> I'll give you a shout. If you need guys, guys who know fuck all about anything, just let us know. <laughs> Roger that. But, um, yeah, it's honestly been great speaking with you, Mark. And, and I think this will be a great inspiration for all the, you know, all the dads and, and mums listening as well. And, and I mean, is there anything else you'd like to, to speak about before we, before you head off? I think that the one thing I'll, I will say about, especially now, like this whole thing going on with coronavirus and everything, but with, with that, with, with my situation, with being a, a dad or whatever it is, you know, a lot of it is, it's just about your mindset, you know, and, and how you look at things and, you know, where you, you take something that could be hard work or, or a negative situation like we're living through right now and you flip it on its head and figure out actually what's good about it. And, and you know, if you want to read a book which can really help with stuff like that, there's one called Man's Search for Meaning mm. by uh, Victor Frankl. He was uh, in the, in Auschwitz, you know, and going through the concentration camps and stuff and the way he thinks about things and searches for the tiniest, little bit of good in, in horrendous situations is, is brilliant and that's kind of what I think we all need to do with all parts of life you know especially when it becomes challenging which being a new dad is very challenging oh, you're telling you know me, yeah. you need to figure it all out and look at all the, the great things and, you know like how much you're growing and how much you're learning and how much you're developing as a person by learning these new skills that's incredible. That, you're, you're hitting the nail bang on the head there, Mark. It's been, uh, it's been incredible talk to you, mate. Has you're a real there. inspiration Definitely. and uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, lads. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. No worries, mate. We'll take care. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.